This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Thank you everybody for tuning into another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools at one time. I am your host, Elon Dubrowski, and with me, as always, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. A huge show tonight coming up. We've got some outjuries, unexpected, some injuries that just happened tonight. We don't know if they're long-term yet, but we'll, we'll talk about it all very soon. Some hot and cold streaks as well. Some familiar names coming up on the show. We've got a big one, as always. So many outjuries. This is like a happy, you know, it's, there's been a lot of injuries over the past few episodes. So we're going to start this one with a whole slew of really big, impactful players coming back. And then, of course, we do have the injuries, like you said, unfortunately. Before we get into all of that, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, the best fantasy hockey website out there. No question! Every day they have new articles up there. You know, the Daily Ramblings, just talking about all the important news that happened in the last day or so. They've got, you know, line combinations starting goalies. I'm looking, there's a nice, interesting article here right now by Kevin LeBlanc. Rookies at the quarter mark, categorical leaders. You could read all about different rookies and how they're ranking in the different categories. All, all good stuff all the time. I love DauberHockey.com. So do I. Their ramblings is so valuable. Something that I do when I'm trying to figure out what's happening lately with a player. I'll go to their player profile on Frozen Pool and it'll link to the last time they were rambled about in the most recent ramblings. How about this little tidbit? Chad Johnson, only one goalie has more wins than Chad Johnson this month so far. And that is Sergei Bobrovsky. Who would have thought in the last month at any point during this year, Bobrovsky and Chad Johnson would be leading the league in goalie wins? Yeah, well, you know, Calgary is able to get wins. I think it's like uh, in a large part due to Chad Johnson's play. And actually, I have Chad Johnson in here in the dock for someone we'll talk about a little later. I know we've talked about him every week, but maybe we'll just give him a quick shout out again as always. But okay, let's move on to our first fantasy hockey headline of the week, which like I've said, big name outjuries. Let's start with Jack Eichel. Back from his ankle injury in Buffalo. Huge return already. He had a goal and assist versus Ottawa. Two goals versus the Rangers. Nothing yesterday in a 2-1 to loss to Boston thanks to Tuka Rask, another goalie who, by the way, has been so, so good this year. What a resurgence for Tuka Rask. But we're talking about Jack Eichel here. Like, what point base can we expect from Jack Eichel for the rest of the season? Like I said, four points in three games so far. Last year, he had 56 points in 81 games in his rookie year. Am I crazy to expect closer to, like, a 70-point pace this year? Yes, you okay. are crazy to expect that. At least I think 
You are. And I get it. Like, it's super exciting. Everything going on in Buffalo right now, it's like at the start of the season when you have all that excitement going on around every player that you picked or you almost picked or that you had last year and values are all wacky because of it. I think that's what's happening in Buffalo now that everybody is healthy. Finally, we've been waiting for it. If you do have a 70-point Eichel believer in your league, like, say, if Elon's in your league uh, and he owns Eichel, time to open up trade talks with him right this minute. I, I think Eichel's probably 60 points is the more reasonable look. 70 points remains pretty whimsical to me. We had a lot of this chat on the most recent patron cast, Elon, about how Eichel is great as someone who can come back to a lineup and hopefully make a difference, especially fill out a top six that is one center short of being a real competitive top six. But I don't know how much of a difference one guy who's not Crosby and who's not McDavid can make in a lineup. And to illustrate my point, Eichel's line mates, Kane and Reinhardt, they've only scored once since his return, while Eichel has picked up three goals on 11 shots, which I know has contributed to a lot of this excitement around him. But, you know, I'm glad he's back with some energy, ready to go. And I know the next question, Elon, is because we, we've chatted about this. What do you think the impact is on Reinhardt and Kane? Reinhardt's on his most productive streak of the year. So congrats to those who had patience to wait and wait and wait until Eichel came back. Elon, I think you and I both didn't. I know I didn't. I can't remember what you did. Um, He's a 45, 50 point guy before. Now, if you're hoping for significantly more, like Elon, how much are you hoping for from Reinhardt now? Okay, I'm glad you're giving me the opportunity to respond here. First of all, I feel like you're really kind of like poo-pooing what I'm saying about Jack Eichel before we even get to Reinhardt, who, by the way, I did hold on to. I have him in two of my pools, and I very stubbornly refused to drop him, dropped other hot, productive players to hold on to Reinhardt because I knew how much of an impact Jack Eichel would have, and he has. Like, why not? Like, why can't he be more than just like a 60-point guy. Like he was a 60-point guy last year in his rookie year, but he was new to the league. Now he's playing with like amazing line mates. Like you throw Ocposo onto that top power play who wasn't there before. Ristolainen is a year older, a year better. I don't know. I, I'm going to need a little more. Like I need a reason. Like why can't he make a jump in his second season with better line mates? It's a huge jump. Like that's... 10 points. Okay, so 65 points? Yeah, okay. If you want to compromise, I think that's the more reasonable stretch goal. For Eichel, like 56 to 60 points is still a big deal. Uh, Buffalo is not the most impressive team on the whole. I mean, you look at his line mates, it's Kane and Reinhardt. And I know Reinhardt you have big hopes for going into the year. And Kane is a former 30-goal guy who takes a lot of shots. But neither of those guys tell me that there's a centerman playing with both of them that can hit 70 points unless he is someone like Crosby or McDavid. All right, I guess we'll see. This will be something fun to watch. Okay, so you brought up Sam Reinhart. 10 points in 21 games without Jack Eichel. Four points in three games since Eichel has returned. He is on a four-game point streak. Like I said, I think that Reinhardt could put up like a 60-point pace, but that obviously goes along with me thinking that Eichel could have a 70-point pace, so maybe you have to subtract five or so points from each of them if you want to be conservative. Like Brian Evander Kane has points in all three games since Eichel has returned. So we called him a snoozer just a few weeks ago. He was doing nothing on his return. I definitely don't think he's a snoozer anymore. I don't know if like he's a must-add. He's not on the top power play. That top power play is O'Reilly, Eichel, Reinhardt, Ocposo, and Ristolainen. So Evander Kane is still like on the outside looking in there. But like you said, he's on the line with Reinhardt and Eichel. So I think if he's available, you have to consider adding him now. And speaking of Rasmus Ristolainen, three points in three games since Eichel has returned. He's up to 12 points in 24 games now on the season. All assists, by the way, 
I see him as like a 50 point pace defenseman with Eichel back. I don't know. I guess you think that I'm giving too much credit to what Eichel can do to help all of these Sabres line mates. I think you are. Vander Kane is a guy who we've been wanting to break out again forever. And I've been one of the guys who's always believed it until I think last year where I finally said he's more like the Jeff Skinner in Carolina that takes a lot of shots but never scores on them, has an eternally low shooting percentage. Kane, he scored his first goal this year in his 13th game and has taken a big step back in getting shots on goal even. Uh, that's been a category that has alone justified his presence on rosters over the last couple of years. He's been averaging four per game over his first 100 games with Buffalo, but just more than two shots per game so far this season. That's without Eichel in the lineup. So now I wonder if Eichel shoots more or helps set up Kane for more. On top of that, Kane has a really low shooting percentage, even lower than we're used to expecting from him. So if he gets more shots and the shooting percentage regresses and he keeps playing with O'Reilly or Eichel, I expect his value should increase. Like I think he's a 50 point guy, but it's still hard to jump right on him having been a half point per game guy for the last two years. And as we mentioned on the patron cast, he was actually worse with Eichel last year than he was without Eichel last year. His most productive centerman partner last year, Brian Gianta. Okay, well, we'll see. I don't know. I think we're talking small sample sizes here. I, Evander Kane was injured also last year for a bit. So we'll see. I'm not saying he's a must-add. And okay, and I guess he also you wanted to say something about Ristolainen? Yeah, so he had 41 points in 82 games last year. You're saying 55? I don't see a reason I to... I said 50-point pace moving forward. Okay, so you say 50 points. That's like a 10-point upgrade over what he did last season I don't know that I can get with that. I can get with 45 points, though. He's a nice shot-taking defenseman, but unsustainably high power play scoring at this point in the season. 10 power play points already puts him halfway to last year's total of 21 power play points. Interestingly, all 10 of those power play points have been assists. Eight of those assists have been secondary assists. So either they're working the power play through him, or it's just random noise when he's picking up points when he shouldn't exactly yeah. supposed to be. So I'm wondering, maybe he's someone... No, that's going too far. I was going to say, maybe you can sell high on him, but maybe you can sell high on Eichel. Like I said at the start of this segment, Eichel, Reinhardt, Kane, if you can find someone who thinks all of them are going to finish above 60 points, that's your next trade partner. Okay, so we'll have to bring up these savers throughout. They're going to be my new, like, Chad Johnson and Cam Ward that I'm going to have to bring up every week as they keep producing and keep on... Oh, and Ricard Raquel, add him to the list that I'm going to keep mentioning until you either admit that you were wrong or I. it turns out I was wrong. Okay, uh, by the way, Ristolainen is, like, the point man on the power play. So obvi- I don't think it's luck that he's getting these secondary assists. Like, that's how power plays go. You give it to the guy at the point, he, like, passes it to someone who shoots and then someone hits in the rebound or he passes... Like, it makes sense. He's going to get assists on most of these power play goals, primary or secondary. Okay, he's on pace for 40 power play points. Well, okay. I, I don't even want to throw out everything that's happened before Eichel was was out. Like, Sabres couldn't score. Now I think they can. We're going to have to get a bigger sample size with Eichel back in this roster. With Ocposo, don't forget, on this power play also. Like, I think that there's a... I think it's a very nice-looking top power play. I expect a lot of production to come out of it. Let's go to St. Louis now. Another big outjury. Alex Steen, back from his upper body injury. Huge return, right? Three power play assists versus Tampa Bay. Then a goal yesterday versus Winnipeg. So he's on fire after only having 10 points in 17 games before his injury. This was the guy that we were getting questions about. Oh, should I drop Alex Steen? 
now all of a sudden we're getting questions of like, should I drop Jaden Schwartz for Alex Steen? So, you know, things have kind of flipped with him. Obviously, when you have such a hot return, it makes sense. My question now is if he is a free agent in your league, I guess we get questions from people in pretty shallow leagues where a guy like Alex Steen could be available. To me, I think he's a must add, right? Like, I'd be curious to know what point pace you expect for him. And like, if you're saying Eichel is like 60 points, does that mean that you would rather have Alex Steen than Jack Eichel this year? So he's been either hot or cold all season long, Alex Steen. He's scored in streaks and not scored in slumps. You see either a string of games where he's put a point on the board or a string of games where he hasn't. Not a lot of consistency one way or the other from him. He's been a 65, 70 point player since that huge breakout in 2013, 2014. But now he's 32 years old. He's turning 33 later this year. Uh, He's missed 10 games or more in virtually each of the last eight seasons. So there's a lot of mileage on that body, which is something that's starting to concern me at this age. I still like him for 60 points or at least close to it this year. Elon, interesting to note, and I think you've got it already to mention, is that he played center in the most recent game for the Blues. Yeah, so this is how the lines have shaken out since Steen has returned. And keep in mind, these are the St. Louis Blues lines. They seem to change so often. They're the new, I don't even know who I should throw out, the the new Dallas Stars for how they keep shaking up these lines. So it's been last game, Fabri, Steen, and Tarasenko. Steen centering that line. And then Perron, Schwartz, and Stasny. Those were the top two lines. Laterra actually helped these scratched last game. So Yori Laterra, we already called him a snoozer. Brian literally said he falls asleep when he hears people talking about Yori Laterra. So yeah, definitely you don't want him. Top power play last game was Fabri, Perron, Steen, and Tarasenko. And then of course, Shattenkirk, who's also been on fire, by the way. And then that means Jaden Schwartz was bumped to the second power play to play with like Berglund and Stasny and Pareko and Pietrangelo. So obviously a big downgrade there. So Brian, what do we say to these people who have been asking now, should I drop Jaden Schwartz for Alex Steen? I mean, if you look at the lines, I want the guy playing with Tarasenko and I want the guy playing on the power play with Tarasenko. So that would tell me that I would want Steen. But at the same time, I mean, Jaden Schwartz has been really... I, I kind of just want to say hold on to both of them and drop someone else, but some people just have like all all-stars on their team, and so it's really hard to tell them who they should drop. By the way, Jaden Schwartz, he's pointless in the two games since Steen's return, but he does have three and six shots on goal in those two games, so it's not as if he's not like there on the ice doing stuff. You did say you want the guy who's playing with Tarasenko and the guy who's playing on the top power play. The thing is, is that guy changes fairly regularly. The Blues lines, I'm ready to, to finish speculating on them we tried to at the first couple weeks of the year see if we could figure out who's going where now Alex Steen is changing positions Schwartz and Stasny (laughs) also switching positions these lines are just getting shuffled too frequently to try and project more than three or four games ahead who's going to be on what line and how you want them so I think I would rank all the blues forwards this way I'd go Tarasenko, Steen, Schwartz, Stasny, Fabry, Perron, Laterra, and then be done with it because the lines are going to fluctuate all year long. I can't update that with every whimsical adjustment that Hitchcock and Yao make behind the bench. I think your job as a fantasy owner, if you own any of these guys or if they're free agents in your league, you know that this is a team that switches lines often. So stay on top of that using Frozen Pool over at Dabra Hockey. And Mm -hmm. also know that if you get excited about a certain combination, it might not last very long if you're looking I don't know, to say try and acquire Robbie Fabry because he's playing with Tarasenko and on the top power play unit for a couple games. 
Yeah, I would say, and in that ranking that you made, I think you could tier it. Like, you have Tarasenko above and beyond everybody. Tarasenko, by the way, we have to mention, he has 27 points in 25 games played so far this season. He's third in league scoring, tied for second in goals with 13, three back of Crosby and Line. So Vladimir Tarasenko is like the real, real deal. Amazing, amazing. So yeah, you do want the guy playing with him. Right now it's for free. But like I was saying, so, so yeah, I would tier your rankings. It's like Tarasenko on top. Then you have Steen and Schwartz. They're together. You could probably switch them back and forth as the lines shake up. Then I'd put Stasny, Fabri, and Perron sort of in another group all together. And then Laterra or Bori Laterra, as Michael said here in the chat room, instead of Yori. Yeah, so, but yeah, Stasny, Fabri, and Perron, you could probably switch around with them depending on where they are in the lineup. I agree. That's fair. Another guy I wanted to shout out, Kevin Shattenkirk, I guess I already mentioned him, but he has 19 points in 25 games played so far this season, which ties him for third in defenseman points with Shea Weber, just behind a couple guys. You may have heard of them, Brent Burns and Eric Carlson. He's also leading all D-men with 12 power play points. A lot of people were apprehensive about drafting Shattenkirk because they were so worried about Pareko potentially taking his job. It hasn't happened, okay? Like, Kevin Shattenkirk is so, so good. Like, Brian, we drafted him in our joint league. I wish I drafted him in other leagues because he's been so amazing. I did mention Pareko, though. Brian, you did tell me earlier in the week, you were like, I want to talk about Pareko this week. So I'll give you the floor to mention him. Yeah, he's been so good even in a supplementary role, sort of. I mean, he's still in a top four role, but he's not about to usurp anything from Shattenkirk, even Petrangelo right now. But he is top 10 in even strength offensive output in the entire NHL amongst defensemen. That's points per 60 top 10, shots on goal per 60 top 10. He's playing third fiddle on the power play, which is a real shame, but he's still one of three St. Louis Blue Liners who are in the top 20 for points per 60 minutes by defensemen on the power play. He also gets a couple blocks per game, occasionally has big hits games, and he looks ready to be a big-time producer if and when Shattenkirk and Petrangelo move along. For now, he still sits 80th in the league amongst defensemen in ice time, which is a bit of a problem for being able to put up those counting stats, but everything he's doing is amazing right now. Yeah, okay, so Colton Pareko, definitely in a keeper league, a lot of upside there. Brian, I was going to ask you if we should drop David Perron in our joint league because we added him when he was on that amazing eight-game point streak. He's now pointless in two games, like whatever, just two games. I was going to ask if we should maybe drop him for Fabri since he's playing with Tarasenko, but then now I've decided that I think I just want to pick up Michael Stone, who we'll get to a little bit later because we have more room for a defenseman. And did you know that Anthony D'Angelo has been sent down by Arizona? Breaking news. So all of a sudden, Michael Stone's value goes up. We'll get to that in a little bit. Let's keep going with the out juries, though, as you wave your hand to me being like, wow, are you even bringing up this boring stuff? This is what goes to my mind all day, Brian. It's not boring. Everybody's going to know it when we get... It's in the plans. It's in the, <laughs> we have a roadmap here to follow. And you just no, need to spill the beans on all the cool things that we found out during the week. Well, I don't know. Like, don't people on the radio do things like that? Like, coming up soon, we're going to talk about the latest from Arizona. <laughs> but first, Taylor Hall. My turn to jump ahead of you. Taylor Go Hall ahead. is next. Are you going to do the intro for Taylor Hall? No, you do the intro for Taylor Hall. Huge news! Taylor Hall is back for the New Jersey Devils earlier than I expected. He had nothing in his return versus Chicago, but then a goal and two assists in yesterday's huge 5-4 comeback win versus Nashville. Brian, you have Pecorine, and I'm sure you didn't enjoy how they let in four goals in the third period in overtime. Anyways, that brings Taylor Hall up to 15 points in 16 games. I assume you would have him above Eichel and Steen. I don't even know if you answered in the end who you'd rather have between Eichel and Steen. So maybe you could get to that in a second. But 
Hall's return nicely for Camilleri owners. It hasn't slowed down Mike Camilleri as we feared. You know, we thought, oh, now he'll go back to playing in a secondary role. No worry about that so far. He had two goals yesterday, one assist the game before. That puts Camilleri up to six goals and five assists in six games since coming back from his personal leave. 17 points in 18 games on the season now after doing nothing over the first month or so. So, like, Mike Camilleri, hopefully you added him when you had the chance. He's probably added in all leagues. Taylor Hall, he's amazing. There's nothing really to say about him except for just he's fantastic, and I'm going to guess that you're going to have him above the other guys we've mentioned so far, like Eichel and Steen. And, you know, before I cut to you, guess who's leading the New Jersey Devils in points right now? It's actually not Hall or Camilleri. They've obviously both missed time. It's Travis Zajac. He has 20 points in 24 games played. Travis, I have to say that again. Travis Zajac, 20 points in 24 games played. He had a hat trick versus Chicago, two assists yesterday versus Nashville. He's been sticking with Camilleri and Palmieri, so not bad line mates. Hall actually was playing with Henrique and Parento in the last game, and Henrique and Parento still not really doing anything. Taylor Hall doesn't need them to get points, I guess. Maybe Adam Henrique is someone you guys should watch because he is centering Taylor Hall. But Brian, what can we also expect from Travis Zajac? Moving forward, he's a free agent in all of my leagues. And actually, I wrote this before he was actually added in one of my leagues. In two of my three leagues, he's a free agent. Should that not be the case? It probably shouldn't be the case. First, let's go back to Taylor Hall. I'll just state the obvious, and then we'll move on to Zajac. He's better than Eichel. He's better than Steen. I think I'd have Eichel just a smidge ahead of Steen, although Steen's line mates will occasionally be better than Eichel's. I don't want to get back into that whole St. Louis prediction scenario. But back to New Jersey, uh, Taylor Hall underappreciated in fancy. There are very few left wingers above him and the ones that beneath him are in a different tier. It's like you've got Ben and Ovechkin at the top and then you've got Hall and Forsberg next. I'm probably missing a couple guys off the top of my head, but essentially that's it. That's it. So he has a lot of value as a left winger who can do a lot of things that many left wingers can't come close to. Travis Zajac is doing things that Travis Zajac hasn't really been able to come close to over the course of his career. He just scored the second hat-trick of his career, and I'm back to really liking him now that he's making it work with Camilleri. Before, I was absolutely on board with him about Hall. Then Hall got injured, and I was nervous that it wasn't going to continue. It did while he was with Camilleri. And Zajac is also doing enough for himself, too. He's taking as many shots as he ever has over the past six years. There's actually this funny quirk in his numbers. The seasons in which he's shot the most He's also had his highest shooting percentages. So apparently for him, more shots means better success when putting shots on goal. I think it's happened enough times that I think there might be something to it other than just random variance. I checked to see if him taking more shots means he's taking more from in close. And that's why his shooting percentage goes up. He's adding in close shots to that. But it actually looks like he's adding shots from further out to his shot totals instead. So maybe, I don't know, he's less hesitant to put putts on net from anywhere. And that somehow is working in his favor percentage-wise. So that's great for him. Uh, Centermen are deep in lots of leagues, but Travis Zajac is still worth an ad if you're looking for a solid depth guy. And his success with Camilleri, Elon, you mentioned Adam Henrique. It could bode well for Henrique. If Zajac and Camilleri stick and Henrique gets to stick with Hall, maybe eventually those two are going to click. All right, so I guess we could start our list of free agents or potential free agents today. We'll throw Travis Zajac there. And then as we mentioned, other guys, as the show goes on, I could compare him to other potential ads for people. But yeah, that's great for the Devils. You know, it's too bad Corey Schneider is still kind of struggling because it seems like now they're finally a team that could score some goals. They have two 
decent looking lines. So a nice top six. If Schneider can, you know, shore things up a little bit, which I'm sure he will. He's Corey Schneider. I'm not going to give up on him until he gives me like two bad seasons in a row, I feel like. So I see good things ahead potentially for New Jersey. Brian, okay, let's move on now. Let's go to Winnipeg. Oh, by the way, question in the chat room. Brian, I haven't shout out the chat room yet. I, I always mess this up. Okay, we are live right now on YouTube. You could join us every week if you're listening to this, going like, I want to be in this chat room. You can watch us live. Keepacarlson.com slash live every Sunday at 8 p.m. A lot of fun. Brian, one question here. What's on your shelf back there? A lot of people are curious. Seriously, is this show fought? I have I, I have my response taped out. You know what? If you want to know what's on my shelf, you come join the live chat and you can ask me anytime. <laughs> okay, I don't know. It just looks like a bunch of knickknacks. I was curious also. It okay. Is, okay, so I've got a couple picture frames. I've got a vase with uh, some dried flowers and these two like, I don't know, wooden like log tree trunk, but small decor things. I guess I guess my wife bought them at some point and I don't know what they're actually for, but they make the room look a little nice. And hopefully nice for everybody watching. Elon, what's behind you? What's on your shelf? I've already talked about this before. This is my president's trophy I won one year. All right, let's move on to (laughs) Winnipeg. Another nice outjury. Brian Little, all these people coming back. I think we had an episode like a month ago or something where there were a bunch of people coming back from injury and doing nothing, like when Evander Kane came back. But this episode is the complete opposite. So Brian Little, he's back from his lower body injury that he sustained in game one of the season. He had a goal and an assist yesterday versus St. Louis and a goal Thursday versus Edmonton. So he's up to four points in four games played on the season. He was playing on a line with Wheeler and Stafford. But then yesterday, Mark Shifley was held out with a lower body injury. And it looks like Shifley is still injured, which is brutal for him. He's having such an amazing season. But anyway, so the lines ended up being Little with Line and Ehlers. And then Wheeler with Drew Stafford and also recently outjured Matthew Perot, former podcast favorite Matthew Perot. And actually Drew Stafford has come back from injury recently. So it's a very new look top six right now for Winnipeg. Uh, speaking of Matthew Perot, no points yet and only one shot on goal in his two games. And Stafford has like uh, one goal and two assists in his six games. If you're curious about some depth guys, maybe Brian, you could comment on if it's worth looking at Perot or Stafford. But let's focus on Brian little here first of all is he a must add if in free agency we've had some questions about him i feel like especially with shifley out but even without him out like it looks like he's gonna be playing with good people either way either he's gonna be on the wheeler line or he's gonna be on the ehlers line a line so great potential line mates for brian little i'd be curious to know what you expect from him moving forward you know like back to this whole point pace thing if you say steen and eichel around 60 point pace is it the same for little a little bit less a little bit more that's a lot of littles. I'll just cut in here. Uh, Mark Shifley, you mentioned him being injured. It was a possibility that he was going to play today. So whatever's keeping him out probably won't keep him out very long unless they're really just trying to make do with an injury that should be treated, but they don't want to treat it. But I think you've caught my drift, Elon. You talk about Jack Eichel coming back and how important that is for Sam Reinhardt and Evander Kane. And I think Brian Little coming back is just as important for guys like Ehlers, Liney, and Wheeler. And that's regardless of whether Shifley goes day-to-day for any length of time or not. Little's a guy who spent the last three years playing at a 60-point pace or better. And he's also a guy who can turn that second-line winger spot, either right side or left side, from an offensive black hole to a place where production can happen without a huge struggle. Like Blake Wheeler has had success on the second line, but that's because he's Blake Wheeler. We talked all season about how Ehlers and Liney, if they're on the second line away from Shifley, you might want to stay away. 
I think even with Little on the second line, Stafford or Perot probably stay as mostly fringe guys, but you don't have to worry about the rest of the players in the top six with Little back because either way, if you're playing on the first line or the second line, you're playing with a good centerman, which is something that Winnipeg didn't have in Little's absence. Okay, yeah, so you're clearly very high on Brian Little. I don't know if it's because he shares the same first name as you or not, but I agree. And Wheeler, you know, has been good, but he hasn't been, like, as good as last year. So maybe having a centerman like Brian Little compared to, like, whoever he's had, Nick Patan and, like, Dano and whoever else he's been playing with. Now he's got, like, you know, like I said, Perot and Stafford. By the way, Perot and Stafford, anything worth looking at there for people in deeper leagues? Like, how would you rank those two, and are they worth taking a look at in free agency? Like, it looks like they're both in the top six right now. Matthew Perot is always capable of being a half-point-per-game guy. He has not been very successful so far this year. Just a goal and two assists in 13 games with a very low shooting percentage. Drew Stafford... Similarly poor season so far, goal and three assists in 12 games this season. Only 19 shots on goal, also a low shooting percentage, though. And neither one excites me. I think they're both still free agent fodder until something happens if one of them really clicks on that second line. So obviously, though, if you're in a deep league, like someone playing with Wheeler is going to potentially get you points because Wheeler is going to be getting points and someone else has to be in on them getting either the goal or the assists. Okay, let's go now to Pittsburgh. We're finally healthy in Pittsburgh. Horkvist and Kunitz both back for the Penguins. So everything's back to normal. Back to our Stanley Cup winning Pittsburgh Penguins. They had Crosby with Horkvist and Sheary on line one and then Kessel, Kunitz and Malkin on line two. And then, you know, the other, the dregs, Benino, Haglin, Rust, line three, whatever. Top power plays, of course, Crosby, Hornquist, Kessel, Malkin, Latang. Jake Gensel was scratched the last couple of games. Definite snoozer. We already said last week to forget about him before those guys came back. Now, definitely, there's no reason to hold on to him because he's not getting anywhere. Because it's nice to see Connor Sheary is sticking on that top line, kind of like I expected he would. Like I don't think he's going to be getting bumped down to the bottom six. He's been there for a long time, kind of like a Ricard Raquel, who I don't think is going to get bumped. I think he's always someone worth watching in free agency if he's available. Maybe not someone you have to add and hold forever, but when you're trying to stream people in, when you have like a good schedule ahead, I think Connor Sheary is always someone you should watch. He has two goals and one assist in his last three games, 12 points in 18 games on the season. That is not too shabby, and that's what you can expect playing with one of the best players in the league with Sidney Crosby. And also, you know, Horkvist, no slouch for sure. Yeah, Sherry is a depth scoring option. It's pretty good. He tends to grab his points, you know, a couple games at a time. So if you catch him at the right time, it's good. If you don't, at least you're looking at a couple shots on goal per game that you can count on. Elon, it's worth mentioning, he only has four points in his last 10 games. And if I go back further, it might be more than 10 games. So that's something to consider. Like a lot of these points, he had a few right at the start and then two multi-point games in a row. Then it's been pretty quiet. For most of the year. Again, points in games that are close together. At least he gets his shots on goal when he's not scoring points. Yeah. And also, though, he hasn't been playing on a full healthy top six. Obviously, having Hornqvist and Crosby as line mates will help. And I guess I should mention Hornqvist, right? He now has 17 points in 19 games. So he has a goal and three assists in his three games since returning. So Patrick Hornqvist is having himself an amazing season. It's too bad he had that injury. So, you know, he's not going to be able to hit that. I'd love to see how many points he could get on a full healthy season for Pittsburgh. And last year was a full healthy season, but I feel like it doesn't count because he had that huge cold streak, you know, before the coaching change, he was down on line three. That's not going to happen this year. He's like a definite super valuable guy. I don't even think it's worth talking too much about Patrick Hornfist. Let's go in nets though. Don't look now. Marc-Andre Fleury and Matt Murray, that battle might be a bit closer than it was last week. You know, Brian, after last week, you declared it over. I think you kind of anti-jinxed 
Mark Andre Fleury there. A popular thing that people do in our patron-only Facebook group when they want to wake a player up, they just say how he sucks and he's over. Fleury has now played two straight games, got the wins against both Detroit and Dallas. Three goals against versus Detroit for 903 save percentage, then a really good game against Dallas. That was a 942 save percentage. Murray has been showing some weakness with three and four goals against in his last two games played. So if Marc-Andre Fleury was dropped in your league, you know, if it's a shallowish league and someone was like, oh, I don't need this backup goalie who never plays, now might be a time to look at him, maybe pick him up, or Brian, am I just overreacting over literally two good games from Fleury and two bad games from Murray? Well, the nice thing is that Marc-Andre Fleury finally got some run support with the team scoring 11 goals in front of him. In the season to date before that, he had seen the Penguins score just about uh, two and a half goals, a little more than that per game that he started, and Matt Murray was seeing almost four goals per game scored by the Penguins when he started. So it's nice that Fleury can benefit from some goals being scored. Of course, a lot of it has been his own fault, though. You can't fault the skaters when you give up a lot of goals on not so many shots. Uh, Fleury has now started five of the last eight Pittsburgh games. Two of those have been really great starts, two clunkers and one meh start but if you look at Murray's last five starts they haven't gone much better he's had one great start a few clunkers and again another meh start I think if anything this back and forth that we're seeing we're seeing the pendulum swing back to flurry for the last chunk of time it at least says that the penguins are kind of happy to go back and forth between the two the contest for the number one goalie is not over and this is maddening for fantasy owners but there really is more consistency in that inconsistency than you might think. At the very least, you've got Flurry, who's only sat for consecutive games twice this year. So he's still getting, at minimum, one of every three starts in Pittsburgh, even while Matt Murray's been hot. And that puts him at least in Vasilevsky territory. So if a guy like Andre Vasilevsky, on a struggling Tampa team, by the way, is worth owning in your format, then perhaps Marc-Andre Fleury is as well. Yeah, okay, that's fair. I'd say they're about even. Maybe Vasilevsky has more of a chance to usurp and take that number one job, even though, you know, lately, you know, that situation also is like very similar. We were saying how it's kind of over. Seems like Vasilevsky is taking the job from Bishop today. Uh, Bishop, I guess they lost one nothing to Carolina. Cam Ward, by the way, Brian, a shutout, but I'm not going to get back into him again. But it was Bishop in net, had a great game. So, you know, we're back maybe to a situation where both situations, we don't know anything. So, that helps. Too bad. Okay, since we're on Pittsburgh, I will mention, every once in a while, I like to mention a good sort of guy for hits and blocks if you're in a bangers league, as I know some of you are. Ian Cole, a defenseman on Pittsburgh, he has six points in his last seven games, one goal and four assists in his last three games. Obviously, like I said, Pittsburgh has scored a lot of goals recently, but he's a guy who also gives you hits and blocks. I'd be curious to know if you think there's anything there. Can he get at least a moderate number of points to help support the peripherals you get from him. And also I'll throw out Justin Schultz, two goals and two assists in his last three games. But again, Pittsburgh has been scoring an abnormal number of goals lately. But you know, I want to be thorough when I'm discussing hot streaks on the Pittsburgh Penguins. Good to have a comprehensive list of hot streaks, even if they are mostly irrelevant, which is what I'm seeing from Ian Cole. Remember last year, people were thinking, oh, he's the new Ole Mata. And Ole Mata, of course, had his days where he was a must-add too. It's nothing I'm getting overly excited about but while we are talking about the Pittsburgh blue line I want to talk about Chris Letang he has two goals 12 assists and 14 points in 22 games that looks nice but if you own him you know that that hasn't been so nice over half of those 14 points eight of them came over four multi-point efforts that came in a 16-day span and he's been so quiet 
outside of that. Just one point in six games before stringing together assists in consecutive games recently. Eight games and counting without a power play point. Mind you, the whole Pittsburgh power play has been pretty quiet, but it's not the numbers you'd be hoping to see from Chris Letang. I'd like it if he spread them out a little more evenly and also got more of them on the power play. Yeah, I mean, come on. It's Chris Letang. It's one of these guys where if he's on a cold streak like this, like, don't even worry about it. He's Chris Letang. He's still there on the top power play, taking a ton of shots. He even got six blocks a few games ago, so he's helping you with in other... He's like saying, I'm sorry that I haven't been getting you points, so here, take these six blocks as compensation in the meantime. So I definitely wouldn't be worried about him. If you could buy low from, like, his owner, like, definitely go for that because I think he's amazing. One more outjury, Brian. I want to go to Calgary. This is a late addition. This wasn't supposed to be on the show, but the news came out just this afternoon that Johnny Goudreau is returning today from his broken finger injury for Calgary. Calgary plays at 9.30, so this show will just have ended. So when you listen tomorrow morning to this episode, you'll already know how Goudreau did in his return. But I will say that, great, it didn't take long, and he's coming back at a good time, right? Like, Monaghan has three points his last three games. He's finally heating up, and I don't think it's bad for Monaghan to now have Goudreau back. Like, anyone who thinks that is, you know, these people were also saying maybe it would wake him up when Goudreau got injured, and I guess Monaghan has been a little bit better lately, but I think this is obviously great for him, and I guess we can now go back to watching who's on that line with them. Total coin flip, right? Like, Frolik, Brower, Versteeg, Kachuk, Bennett. Like, it could be any of them. It'll probably switch around a lot, so we'll see. But, you know, for short-term ads... You might want to be watching again on the frozen pool section of Dover Hockey, who's playing on that line with Monaghan and Goudreau. Yeah, Troy Brower, of course, was the guy that everybody wanted earlier in the season. He has gone quite cold lately. I I imagine he's been dropped by a lot of people who picked him up while he was rolling earlier this year. As for Goudreau and Monaghan, there's not a whole lot that's new to say. Goudreau is in the same situation as before. At least there's some signs of recent life from Monaghan. A couple of his stronger performances of the year came in two of his last three games. Yeah, and you know what? The moderate amount of goals from Monaghan and company have been enough to lead Calgary to wins, like you said before, because they are getting such stellar goaltending from Chad Johnson, who just keeps going. He now has nine wins and a 930 save percentage in 14 games played on the season. And Brian, so I was listening to the TSN Hockey Analytics podcast over the weekend, and if you recall, Lester, we were on that podcast last year, which was a lot of fun. And if you guys enjoyed that, maybe you could tweet at them and tell them to bring back the Keeping Carlson guys. But anyway, okay, so I was listening to them and they made a really good point that Chad Johnson has been given this label of journeyman backup goalie. And, you know, that's kind of how we always talk about whenever we're like talking about Chad Johnson, it's kind of like, oh yeah, well, you know, he's Chad Johnson. He's like a backup goalie. You can't expect that much from him. But, you know, it's maybe we're being unfair to him because if you look at his career, the only time he's played more than 27 games was last year with Buffalo and he had a 920 save percentage. He did really well. So maybe he's the type of goalie that if you give him a chance, he can shine. And it's just now at 30 years old is when he's being given that chance. He's had a very small sample size of games in his career. Maybe we should start changing our narrative about him. Like, I'm not saying we have to go all in on Chad Johnson, but maybe we've been too biased to think that he just can't be good for long when really he's never been given a chance. He's playing today versus the Ducks, going for his third straight win. Can't hurt having the Joe back. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe uh, Johnson could stretch that streak a little bit longer. I think that's a fair point, Elon. I mean, he's a 918 guy in his career, but that's being a backup. And if you're a starter, it's a different situation. Maybe that's how you thrive by getting more reps in and being more active through the season. He's been exceptional this year through 14 starts. Brian Elliott probably is just shaking his head. Can't believe it. After leaving that tandem situation in St. Louis, 
I have Chad Johnson in one league. Elliot is a free agent, and I'm actually leaving him there, which I, I can't – it blows my mind that I can't force myself to drop someone to pick him up, but I just haven't felt compelled to do it with the way Chad Johnson's playing. Yeah, that's the league you're in with me, Brian. And I was supposed to get Chad Johnson. You outbid me, if I recall. And yeah, I saw Elliot there too. I actually picked him up just because I thought, yeah, he's good. And then I dropped him because I was like, why did I pick him up? What a waste of an acquisition. Obviously, Chad Johnson is good. I don't know. Brian, it's so great to be able to watch these hockey games. I have a Game Center subscription. But you know, sometimes it's even more fun to go and watch these games live. And that's when you want to check out our sponsor for this episode, SeatGeek. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts can be a very confusing process. So you don't even know the final cost. You go to some other sites like Ticketmaster or whatever, and you're looking at it and you're like, okay, oh, that looks like a pretty good price. And then when you get to the checkout, it's like, oh no, it's actually 30% more because of extra fees and stuff. With SeatGeek, they just show you the price and that's the price it is, which makes it very, very handy. You know, the 13th of December is my wife's birthday. We have tickets to see Matilda, which, okay, I'm sure that'll be fun. But I see that the Sharks are in town playing the Leafs and tickets are starting at only $59 on SeatGeek. I wonder if I could convince her if we can go on SeatGeek and sell our Matilda tickets and go to the Leafs game instead. We'll see. I've subscribed to the event because on SeatGeek, you are able to like get notifications if the price goes down. So I don't know. I'd really like to see the Sharks and the Leafs. So we'll have to see. If you want to check out SeatGeek, they even have a special offer to all listeners of Keeping Carlson. Why don't you tell us about it, Brian? Gladly. If you download the SeatGeek app or go to the SeatGeek website and buy tickets for the first time, enter the promo code KEEPING before you do, and that'll get you a $20 rebate on your first purchase. I actually, Elon, I have my rebate check right here. Whoa. Everyone live in the chat room. I got mine. I bought tickets for a concert. Uh, it was a month or two ago now, but I have the rebate check ready to deposit on my next trip to the bank. Thank you, Seat Geek. Great site. So if you want to be a geek, you can get a seat. I'm still trying. We're still waiting for tweets, by the way, at Keeping Carlson. Let us know if you have a better made up slogan that I can make for Seat Geek. And Brian, why don't you, for the people that can't see in the chat room, make that check, make that fun check noise. Wow. Awesome. <laughs> Spend it wisely. Okay, let's move on to our next fantasy hockey headline. Before we get to injuries, let's talk about uh, something we brought up right at the end of the last episode when the news came out that Gerard Gallant was fired by the Florida Panthers. I've been listening to a lot of hockey podcasts. So I've already heard this discussion many, many times, but I assume not everyone listens to all of these nerdy hockey podcasts. So we got to bring it up on Keeping Carlson. What is the fantasy impact of the Florida Panthers having a new coach? Apparently, this is a whole personnel decision because they want to go more analytics focused and Gallant wants to do it the old school way, blah, blah, blah. Don't really want to talk about that. I just want to know what the impact is. Jonathan Marshall so went back to line one with Barkov and Yager and UC Jokinen was sent to line two, but actually now Marcheseau is day to day with a lower body injury. That's also some late breaking news. So we can't even really look into the full impact of the top six on Florida. But I did want to say that last week we said that Marcheseau was maybe now like back to being a half point per game guy and not this like amazing almost point per game guy that he looked like at the beginning of the season. I thought maybe I would say now that he's back on line one, maybe we could bump him up a little bit, but now he's injured. So stash him or whatever. Overall, the Florida Panthers haven't been so great for fantasy. Like, aside from Roberto Luongo, like, Barkov has 15 points in 25 games. That's a 50-point pace. Trocek, 13 points. That's a 43-point pace. Yager with 12 points for a 39-point pace. Jokinen, 
four points in 15 games. Riley Smith, eight points. This was a team that last year, we wanted all of these guys. They were all doing so well. Now, even like Alex Barkov is not looking ownable in some shallow leagues. Do you think that the new coach will improve the chances for these guys? Were these guys going to get better anyways, regardless of the coaching situation? I'd love to know who you think of these Florida Panthers players you see as like a good buy low right now, because you could probably get all of them for a pretty cheap price. I think there's a chance that everything turns around in their favor. The problem is that it hasn't happened yet this year. And last year, we all knew they were overperforming and we expected a bit of a hit this year. But if they can't figure it out when the percentages aren't going their way, then obviously gets them into a lot of trouble. It's weird from a morale point of view. Like if you think of what the players must be feeling through all this, if you watched Elliot Friedman's interview with the new coach, Tom Rowe, it sounds like this was kind of a knee-jerk move from the Panthers owner who had no desire to stay patient, even though this was a decision that was maybe going to come in a couple weeks and he just couldn't wait that long. And I don't know how this affects players. Apparently they liked the coach a lot and were totally caught off guard by this change. I imagine it's a bit of a gut punch and it'll take a couple games for them to get their bearings again with a new coach. And if there's any tactical changes or systemic changes that they need to work through, I don't think anybody should be too down on the team long-term though. They do sit three points out of a playoff spout, which is low. They are 11th in shots four per games played, but they are 24th in goals four per games played, which is a, you know, that's a big gap. If you're 11th in shots four per games played, it's nice if you're, I don't know, maybe 15th at worst. So we can expect their shooting percentage to improve. They're way below league average right now there. And I think that's just a matter of things turning themselves around. Maybe a new coach helps to expedite that. And their goaltending has been a huge reason why they are just three points out of a playoff spot. Roberto Luongo playing out of his mind at 929. Unfortunately, James Reimers brought that number back down to earth on a team level in 896 in nine games played so far this year. Yeah, I drafted James Reimer in the cupful, and I have to apologize to my friend uh, who I traded him to because obviously that didn't work out pretty well for him so far. But, you know, the thing with James Reimer on a team with Luongo is we expect that since Luongo is kind of older, maybe there'll be a point where he'll get injured or need to rest, and maybe that'll be Reimer's chance to shine. Yeah, Michael's pointing out in the chat room, Brian, you kind of called it, that you didn't expect all of these Florida players to have a sudden burst and like improve their point totals after their great seasons last year. The guys like Yager and Barkov and Huberdo, you know, you were saying you expected them to stay the same or even go down a bit. So, you know, credit where credit is due. You nailed it. Although it's been worse than that. It's been worse than a holding pattern and they are missing Huberdo, which we didn't expect. Elon, you asked me, you know, if we should be cold on every Panther. I think right now you're looking at Barkov and I'd also throw Yandel in there. I also think the year is going to get better for Ekblad, although still not like a 45, 50 point guarantee for him. We've talked about that before. So Barkov's a guy I want. Huberdo might be a good guy to trade for. If you have too many active players on your roster, Elon, we've both talked about doing this, trying to acquire Huberdo with some of our surplus of players, stashing him in IR, and then rolling with as many of the players that we can still keep on our roster who are healthy and ready to go. Yeah, but maybe we're being a bit overzealous. Like maybe Hubert Doe isn't even going to be that amazing if he's on this Panthers team. Brian, okay, so I got to ask you now, you're saying Barkov is someone you would want to have. Let's like sort of put that to the test. We were listing, you know, you said you had Hall first, of course, of the out juries, you know, then you put Eichel and then Steen. I don't remember where you put Brian Little in that group, but would you have Barkov over any of those guys? Or if someone has Barkov and a Steen or a Little is available, would you make that swap? I'd have Barkov ahead of Little for sure, and maybe ahead of Steen. I think I'd probably have him on par 
with Eichel, which is funny because Barkov has put up like a 70-point pace before, and you said Eichel could be a 70-point guy, and I said, no way. Uh, but again, Barkov's numbers came from unsustainable work last year. It's pretty close between them. Maybe I, I have to go with Eichel just based on their values today, but I could see myself flip-flopping on that pretty easily later on. Hall is still far and away the best guy of the group. Okay, so yeah, we know Eichel's ahead, but so you would hold Barkov over like a Brian Little? Like, I don't know. I'm surprised by that because Barkov has been so weak and Little, another power play goal today. And then like Alex Steen, I don't know. Like the way the season is going, I kind of feel like I'd have Barkov at the bottom of that list. I'm surprised you're so high on him considering, you know, he's been pretty weak and you called it kind of earlier in the year that you didn't expect too much from him. Like what kind of point pace do you see from Barkov? You're seeing like a for sure over 60 point pace, I guess. Well, it's funny because you're coming at it if I already have Barkov and these guys are available. And I'm thinking of if I'm just picking between them all on the waiver wire so I, ha- I have no claim to any of them right now it would be hard for me to drop Barkov I think if that's what it was though and my team was struggling like there's a whole lot of contextual factors there right like if I'm in first and flying I don't care I'll have Barkov and try and wait it out if my free agent list is rarely picked over like if there are other similar players in free agency though maybe I will drop Barkov and pick up little instead there's a there's a lot going in there I'm just trying to say who I think is going to have the better point pace from now till the end of the year. Okay, yeah, no, that's fair. That's what I'm asking you. I don't know. The thing with Barkov is he's good. It seems like maybe his line mates aren't as good as we hoped they would be. I guess when Huberto comes back, we'll see. But give me the guy playing with Blake Wheeler or the guy playing with Tarasenko, I think. Anyway, okay. So let's go now to some injuries. I guess that's the third fantasy hockey headline of the week. We have to go to Chicago. Two big ones. First of all, Corey Crawford has had an appendectomy, okay? And he's expected to be out two to three weeks. He's been having like such a great season. 12 wins in 20 games and 927 save percentage. He had a 924 save percentage the previous two seasons. So like, I feel like Corey Crawford is kind of underrated. Like there's a guy, Brian, in our league that we're competing against each other in, Pat. And he took Corey Crawford with his first pick in the first round and then he told me after that it was a mistake and he meant to take Corey Schneider but actually it's worked out pretty well for him that he got Crawford instead of Schneider because he's getting more wins and much better numbers but anyways now that Crawford is down it's Scott Darling time and Darling didn't have a great game yesterday he's playing again today um, he has been below average so far on the year, a 907 save percentage on the season. But at the same time, Chicago is at the top of league standings, which surprises me, by the way. I didn't realize that Chicago was doing so well. But I mean, so if you could get a goalie on one of the top teams, I guess you have to do it in the short term. You got to go grab Scott Darling, right? So it's interesting because you have Scott Darling thinking that while well, he's stepping into a starting role on a league leading team, but I'm not sure that's exactly what's happening here. I think he's stepping into a starting role on a good but not glaringly good team that has been carried by the other goalie all season long. We'll see how he copes. Hopefully Corey Crawford isn't out for too long. I know Christopher Hine of the Chicago Sun Tribune put up a very clever article the other day where he interviewed former NHL goalie Chris Mason, who had an appendectomy when playing for St. Louis. Chris Mason missed 13 days. He said it wasn't too bad, aside from some discomfort after the appendectomy. And like he only really felt it when he was stretching to make a stop. And I can't believe I'm going into this much detail, but the article also mentioned Mason was lucky to have his appendectomy before his appendix burst. No word yet on whether Crawford's appendix had burst before surgery. Crawford is a huge reason, though, why Chicago is at the top of the standings. Third in the league and even strength save percentage behind only Dubnik and Price ahead of everybody else. And aside from him, like I said, Chicago's reasonably average 
in other metrics. So we'll see how Scott Darling can hold up behind a team that has been riding their goalie most of the season. Backing up is now Lars Johansson. He's gotten the call. He's a 29-year-old goalie. This is his first season in North America after playing for Frölunda of the Swedish Elite League for the past three years. He's got a 6-7-1 record and a 9-11 save percentage in 16 AHL games played so far. So it's safe to say that this is Scott Darling's net for as long as Crawford is out. Right. But again, we're talking like two, three weeks. I don't know. I feel like considering that Darling hasn't been that good, and I think I agree with you that I'm not like expecting the wins to like pour in with Darling in net. Like we got a tweet from at who is Krager uh, today saying someone cut Parisi in a panic to grab Darling after Crawford went down worth a waiver claim, which like, okay. And then I obviously had to get into a conversation with, you know, who would he drop? And by the way, Brian, I have a PSA about tweets that we get in terms of, uh, this was a good tweet, but you know, sometimes I have some qualms with the types of tweets we get. I don't get enough information to give a good answer, but maybe I'll do that later. But all that to say, I think you'd be kind of silly to give up too much to get Scott Darling. Maybe he'll get you a win or two each week for the next couple of weeks. Then he'll become useless again when Crawford comes back. And I'm not expecting him to even be so, so amazing. So, you know, like grab him if you can, if you have a room for a goalie, like, why not get the number one goalie on Chicago? But I wouldn't give up anything too big for him. I wouldn't be dropping Zach Parise. Okay, the other big injury on Chicago, Jonathan Taze has already missed five games with a back injury. He was put on IR on Friday, and it was announced today that he's not even, like, close to coming back. Apparently, he's going to be taking a break from practices. So let me ask you, is it time to buy low on Jonathan Taves? Like, he's not having a great season, only 12 points in 21 games. We were so excited also about Marion Hosa a few weeks back. He's clearly missing Jonathan Taves as a line mate. He only has one goal in his last seven games. He's been playing with guys like Ryan Hartman and Vinny Hinostroza. These are the line mates that we have for Marion Hosa because obviously Chicago has been running with Anisimov and Kane and Panarin and that line is amazing gets all their points and Hosa like doesn't have a chance he's not even on the top power play like I kind of want to ask you aside from just your thoughts on Jonathan Taves like should I be thinking of dropping Marion Hosa in the cacuffle because I have Alex Steen in my IR and I set my lineup all the way until January so I can just wait it out until someone else gets injured before I bring Steen in but like Hosa's doing nothing uh, at the same time, I don't want to give a free gift to everyone else in my league, and they could just get Marion Hosa for free. After his blistering start, and, you know, I've talked about how Panic's crazy start wasn't sustainable, and how Anisimov's crazy start wasn't sustainable. And you might wonder, does Hosa fall into that category? He's without an assist in 11 games, four goals in that span. On the season, he has 12 goals on 57 shots. So there's some aggression still to come. I do think that Hosa can hang in as a relevant producer, though, with a healthy Jonathan Taves, even though neither one is inspiring much confidence. Taves has called himself two points in nine games before getting injured, just 12 points in 21 games on the year. And look at who Hosa, Elon, you were saying, look at who he has to play with while Taves is out. Chicago down the middle right now is Anisimov. Kruger, Hinestroza, and Tyler Moat. I always forget how exactly to say his name. There's no centers, though, who can make offense happen. Kruger is the only one of that group who's a positive possession driver. It's a pretty yucky situation in Chicago. Yeah, by the way, we're getting some important, helpful information here in the chat room. Patty is pointing out that her son had an appendectomy. That's a three to four <laughs> inch incision. And it took, so he, she thinks it's going to be three to four weeks for sure. But then Michael said he was back playing fantasy hockey three days after his appendectomy. So Crawford is just a sissy. So maybe, you know, Crawford will have a Michael-like return and will be able to come back sooner than expected. 
Brian, let's go now to Dallas. Patrick Sharp out again with concussion symptoms. He only has two points in 11 games on the year. Like, is it time that we just kind of let go of Patrick Sharp? Like, he's not doing anything. He's clearly injury prone. He's having trouble getting over this concussion, which, by the way, I feel bad for him. Like, that sucks that he has these concussions. Like, I, but I'm just thinking if you could stash him, why not? But it doesn't seem like you'll be wanting to drop anyone to bring him back out of your IR when he returns. Like, I think a lot of people were dropping people when Patrick Sharp came back before, and they're probably regretting it because it's like, what has he done? absolutely nothing so i don't know i'm kind of over patrick sharp at this point if someone asks me who they should drop to bring in sharp i'm gonna probably say leave sharp and ir or just drop him not great also for jason spezza who was playing with the likes of richie and korpakoski and faxa and Roussel. like that's who he plays with now that sharp is out and even when sharp was there he's playing with sharp who wasn't doing anything spezza is like a guy who maybe we have to start giving up on him being like a 60 point pace guy. Like we kind of have been relying on for the past few years. He has 11 points in 19 games played on the season, which is closer to a 50 point pace, less than a 50 point pace so far this year. So I don't know, Brian, like I'm not feeling great about Jason Spezza and I'm like kind of over Patrick Sharp. I hear you. I am over Patrick Sharp too. drop him. If you can't stash him. And if your IR is full, just straight up drop him. Don't even consider him over another injured player right now he's not worth it as for Spezza last year we were lauding his huge shots on goal rates and said that those were a big reason for him having his first 30 goal year since back in 2011 2012 and you know his shooting percentage rebounding from a rough couple years to be the second highest of his career helped as well but that's not all that's happening going back into this year not just a regression in shooting percentage his shot rates are down from last year as well not necessarily in an alarming way because he's played most of his very good career with shot rate numbers like these. Let's just count last year's as a bonus. This year, it's his on-ice shooting percentage that is unreasonably low so far. Part of that is variance, and part of that is also, like you were saying, Elon, the quality of his line mates. I imagine that has an impact. Faxa, Sharp, and Roussel are his three most common line mates this season. Neither one an offensive firebrand in 2016 2017 so he's gonna need some help from his line mates i still have faith that he could be a 60 point guy if not i think he'll get close yeah i don't know i think maybe like closer to 50 maybe 55 i would definitely want all of those guys we've listed the brian littles and the steens and obviously the eichels i think i want them all over jason spezza right now because these line mates like just it's not good, and and he's not going to get on that top line because he's a center. They need him to, I guess, be on the second line so he doesn't get to play with Ben and Sagan. He's with them on the power play, which is nice, but, you know, I like to look at the opportunity, and I don't see much there for Spezza. Like you say, Brian, he's a good player, but I just don't see how he can get 60 points with such weak line mates. And then since we're on Dallas, we have to talk about the D situation. Even though, like, for me, I don't really see why, but we've gotten so many questions about Julius Honka. People have been like, why haven't you guys talked about Honka? It's okay. Klingberg, yes, he missed a meeting and got scratched. Then he got healthy scratched for another game. So that's very concerning. And when Klingberg was scratched, three games ago versus Detroit, Honka stepped in on the top power play. And so that's why people, I guess, are thinking, oh, man, is he going to potentially usurp John Klingberg on the top power play? But since then, Klingberg has been back and even got a power play assist against Pittsburgh on Thursday, which I know isn't much. Baby steps, nothing yesterday against Colorado, but hopefully this is the start of Klingberg getting back there. But I think Kling is like the main number one power play guy. Like, I don't expect Honka to be usurping him at least this season. Overall, he has three assists and 17 shots in seven games played with the big club. No points and only three shots on goal in his last three games. So, like, Brian, is he worth taking a flyer on? Like, if he's in free agency for people, should they be grabbing Honka? 
Klingberg still has to be the guy, which in my mind limits the value of Honka. Klingberg has five shots in his last two games, and that's the most promising sign from him that we've seen in a while. You'd actually have to add up all the shots he took from his previous 10 games combined to get five shots on goal. That's right, five shots over 10 games, sliced another way. He only had three shots in eight games and sliced another way. He went without registering a single shot on goal in five of six games. And that's a problem for John Klingberg. This is a guy who averaged on the plus side of two shots per game last season. One shot per game is just not his style, although it was closer to that in his rookie season. But I'm focusing on those five shots in his last two games. That's the hope for me. He's too good to suddenly stopped trying like I I don't know exactly what's changed in Dallas and I've been trying to read into it and look into it I haven't found any good info if anyone has feel free to send it along at keeping Carlson I'm not sure what the deep down systemic reason is for his struggle this year but I still think he's going to be the guy once that power play gets up and running he'll be the one cashing in it's weird. Klingberg was so good a couple years ago. He like came in, pulled a full ghost bear, just like took over on the top power play, never looked back. And then last year he was great all season. I don't know why all of a sudden he's not doing well. I really just don't see it happening that all of a sudden he gets bumped for Julius Honka, no matter what his pedigree is. And maybe we'll get another podcast at some point with one of our great prospects experts like Peter Harling, or we also have Cam in the Patreon group, who also is a writer for Dauber Hockey, knows a lot about prospects. So we could ask him for more information on Honka, but come on. I don't know. Take a flyer, but I'm not too excited about him. I would probably leave him in free agency, which I have in all of my leagues. Okay, next injury. Eric Johnson is out six to eight weeks with a broken fibula on Colorado. And that is actually a big loss for Colorado. Like you might not think it, but Eric Johnson has quietly been having a really great season. He has 11 points in 23 games, which, you know, half point per game for a defenseman. That's really good. That's an over 40 point pace. He has 47 shots on goal. Like that's over two shots a game, like 44 hits, 62 blocks. So he's a huge contributor for his fantasy owners in multi-cat bangers leagues, of course. And so obviously the question now is what is the effect on the Colorado D-men? Like Tyson Barry, I think will be fine. I know, Brian, you were telling me it might be good for Tyson Barry. I feel like he was already always on the top power play. So he has five points in his last seven games. So I think Tyson Barry, fine. I don't know if he necessarily gets better. I think the guy who I would look at is maybe Francois Beauchemin gets to maybe regain some of his value that he had last year where he got points every once in a while and was like a huge blocks beast. This year, he only has 49 blocks in 23 games. Compare that to 256 blocks in 82 games last year. So we're talking two blocks a game this year versus three blocks a game last year. I think that's a lot because this year he's averaging only like around 20 minutes a game compared to over 25 minutes a game last year. And now Eric Johnson, a guy who had been taking like so many minutes on Colorado, someone has to take them. I think it's going to be Beauchemin. He's probably also going to get back on that second power play with like Patrick Weirkosh, who I'm not going to say that you should go and grab. So I think if your lead counts blocks and he's been dropped because, you know, he wasn't given points and not even like so many blocks, I think now's the time to maybe take a look at Francois Beauchemin. This is the best time and the worst time to acknowledge how great a season Eric Johnson has been having. He's been more valuable than Barry so far in pretty much any format that credits blocks and hits. And if he stayed within five points or so of Barry through the year, that advantage and value would likely continue harder to do now that he's injured of course but again a good time to give him kudos for what he's done to date as a top 15 20 defenseman in most bangers and mash leagues any anxious barry owners that eric johnson is going to come back and take away that top power play spot uh they can rest a little easier now though they likely already have been 
Don't expect much to change for him with Johnson. Now you asked about Boschman. Elon, he's already picking up his blocks game. He has three or more blocks in six of his last seven games, 22 blocks in that span, which brings him back to that three plus per game pace. More time on ice could help him pick up a couple more. But remember, there are a handful fewer shot attempts coming at Colorado each game now that the Patrick Wades are behind us. You also speculated on his power play time. He did see three and a half minutes of power play time last game. And he's used to seeing either no power play time at all or a couple shifts here and there. So that's something to continue watching. Yeah, and I guess the final impact is probably this is not great for the Colorado goalies losing a good defenseman like Eric Johnson, like Semyon Varlamov, who still is hanging on to that job. We talked about, I think it was last week, how he had a minor injury. We thought maybe Pickard would once again have the opportunity to take advantage. Pickard blew it for his owners who started him against Nashville. He let in five goals and like kind of blew the week for a lot of people. And now Varlamov has actually had two straight decent games since coming back from injury, like both losses, but I think only two goals against in each game. So, you know, take what you can get. If you're a Varlamov owner, I think he's got his job back for now. I mean, I guess he didn't really lose it. He was just injured, but he came back and he has the job, but now there's less good defensemen to try to help him out. So I don't know how great this will be for Varlamov. Okay, Brian, that's all I got for the injuries. We already covered the outjuries. So now why don't we go to our hot streaks, our little sustainable or fleeting segment, even though some of these guys, I just have to mention, even though there's not really much you can do about it. Like I want to start in Edmonton. Leon Dreisaitl has been on fire since joining the top line with McDavid and Lucic. He has seven goals and six assists in his last 10 games, which brings him up to 21 points in 26 games on the season. This is the Leon Dreisaitl that we remember from last year playing with Taylor Hall. Like, he's been so good. Brian, we really blew it. We had the chance to add him. He got dropped in our joint league, you know, when he wasn't really doing much. He was just kind of on the top power play and getting power play points every once in a while. Man, the guy who added him struck gold. He's been, like, one of the top players in the league lately. Anyway, if you're a dry sidle owner right now, is it sell high time? Because like maybe he won't stick with McDavid. And then if that happens and he gets bumped from that line, he'll probably regress. Yeah, totally. You didn't do anything wrong. Or should I say we didn't do anything wrong? Anyone who dropped dry sidle didn't do anything wrong to drop him because he went 12 games with one goal and one assist, and that's all. And he had one or zero shots on goal in half of those games. Now he's on this crazy run and took eight shots against Winnipeg the other night. He's got a really funny game log for someone with 21 points in 26 games. Had that huge black hole. He essentially has 19 points in 14 games this year. It's feast or famine with this guy. The feast is when he's with McDavid. The famine's when he's without He'll get shuffled around again soon, at which point anyone who owns him is going to have to wonder how long until he gets back with McDavid. Okay, we'll see. You know, last year, I don't know if you recall, we were talking about how great he was doing when he was with Taylor Hall. And like for a long time, you were saying, oh, it's probably not going to last. You ended up kind of being right. Like he ended up slowing down near the end of the year and kind of blew it for people who were relying on him in their fantasy playoffs. So I guess we're here we go again, except maybe now it's even more precarious of a situation just because we've seen lots of people taking turns playing with Connor McDavid. And by the way, Connor McDavid, he is up to 34 points in 26 games. He's like starting to run away with this Art Ross race. Like second place is Kucherov at 29 points. It's already five points difference with, you know, a little more than a quarter into the season. So if that continues, he could end up winning by like, I don't know, 15, 20 points over the next guy. Obviously, Sidney Crosby is the one to maybe watch because Crosby has 26 points, so eight points back, but he's played seven fewer games. But I don't know. I feel like if McDavid doesn't get injured, I don't see how he loses 
this race. Like, I think Connor McDavid for now is like a 75, 80% chance of winning this Art Ross trophy. He's like so, so good. You'll find no argument for me. Okay. And then also, I guess maybe we were a little bit premature last week in anointing Oscar Clefbaum as the top power play D man in Edmonton. I feel like we were saying, or maybe it was more me. I was like, okay, finally, now we know who's the top power play defenseman. It's Oscar Clefbaum. He's doing great. Well, since our last episode, it seems like Andre Sekera has taken over that job. Clef only has one assist in his last four games played. So obviously, I apologize to everyone who added Clefbaum due to our or my like really pumping him up. Meanwhile, Sakara has a goal and three assists in his last three games played, including one power play point, which is what you can expect when you're playing on the top power play with, you know, repeat, you know, let's say it all together, Connor McDavid. You play with Connor, Connor McDavid. McDavid. You, you play with McDavid, you get points. Brian, I have Clefbaum in one league. Should I swap him with Sakara or do I like just hold Clefbaum like I did all year? Because I still think he should be the top power play defenseman. Like it doesn't seem like Andre Sakara doesn't seem like he's that type of guy. Well, first off, I need to share the blame. I also was all in on Clefbaum saying that the Oilers had finally found their power play one QB. He was right under the nose the whole time. And he remains under their nose, except not on that unit anymore. I don't know. Sekera could do okay on the top power play unit. Like you said, he's going to get points because he's playing with McDavid with the man advantage. So that's good. I feel like they're going to get shuffled around for a while too. So we'll see. If you have Clefbaum right now, I guess you might as well swap him out for Sakara because who else is going to add him? Yeah, well, unless it's someone who listens to the podcast and thinks that eventually Clefbaum will take the job back but we're time not, for the fantasy hockey playoffs. But we're not advising to hold Clefbaum in the meantime. I feel like he has very little value if he's not on that top unit. Yeah, that's true. So again, you got to check out Frozen Pools or whatever. Follow like Edmonton beat writers on Twitter to find out when Clefbaum's going to get his chance. I'm sure it won't be long, by the way. Like I, I'm thinking I'm holding Clefbaum for a little while. Like I, I'd like to wait like another two, three weeks to see if he doesn't get that job back. I think he just might. But obviously Edmonton's on a nice little run right now. They're playing again tonight. Who knows? Maybe by the time you listen to this episode, Clefbaum will have already gotten like three power play points today against... Minnesota, I guess that's unlikely because Devin Dubnik has been so amazing in nets. I don't know if Edmonton... Well, there you go. Connor McDavid scores all these points. Devin Dubnik stops all these points. So it's going to be an interesting game. Ooh, maybe I'll check that out after we're done the podcast. But okay, Brian, next, hot streak. This is kind of like a hot streak from before that's already over, but you told me you wanted to talk about him. And I always want to do what you ask because you're my very good friend. So let's talk about Valtteri Filpula, who you said early in the week. I want to talk about Filpula this week. And I see why he was on a nice streak of one goal and six assists in eight games played. But now he only has one goal in his last four games played. So he's slowed down, but you like him. So go ahead. Well, I mentioned him as somebody who could step up with Stamkos out. And he did. So I wanted to follow up. He had a goal and six assists over eight games played. But now he's scoreless in two, which for you, Elon, that would be reason enough to drop him. He had actually started to see less ice for a bit. But he's still doing fine. Like he's still definitely in the top four or five based on ice time in Tampa. Somebody whose ice time has not gotten a boost with Stamkos out that we were thinking it might, Nemesnikov. His ice is way down. He's snoozing right now. So if you're still holding on to him for some reason from the days in which he was playing in the top six, he has been decidedly in the bottom six for the last little while. Okay, yeah. So definitely drop Nemesnikov. And Brian, you're like throwing a little shade at me because I would like probably just drop Phil Pula after a couple of games. I'll bet you for sure if you had Phil Pula, you don't even, I'll bet you you're in leagues where Phil Pula is available as a free agent and you haven't added him. So don't even tell me that you would like be so great because you'd hold on to Phil Pula even though he has no points in two games. And you know, there's another guy on Tampa Bay who you've held on to when I think maybe you shouldn't have. 
And that's Jonathan Druin. He's currently playing on line three with Paquette and Joel Verman, or at least in his last game. And actually, maybe I shouldn't, shouldn't say currently because he's out with an undisclosed injury today. So who even knows what's the situation with Jonathan Druin? I think this is actually good news for you in the cupful because now you get to stash Druin in your IR and not have to worry about him for a little bit and stream some better players. Hey, you could stream Valtteri Filpula, I'm sure, if you want. But yeah, he's been pretty disappointing, I think, overall on the season. I would like to know what you're going to do with Drew. And I guess I was kind of more curious about this when he wasn't injured, because now it's kind of easy for you. But like you have Ricard Raquel, who I know I know I keep bringing up. He scored another goal yesterday, still on the top line, like I predicted he would be. If you had to drop someone from your team, I was curious if you'd be dropping Raquel or Drew in. I'm lucky I didn't have to make that decision. I'm still not ready to. I had a tough enough time deciding between those two and two others. I ended up dropping Evander Kane. And now Druin might be injured and Kane's already gone. Anyway, uh, Druin... Uh, he's leading the way in timeline ice in Tampa for the last couple weeks, even more so over the last four games. But that doesn't negate the fact that he has been dry most of the season. Interestingly enough, his shooting numbers are up at even strength from last year, but just one goal on 41 shots during five on five play, which is a reason why he hasn't really put too many points on the board. I still see a potential big season ahead for him, especially with Stamkos not coming back anytime soon. I'm hoping that his sudden departure from the lineup is not a sign of anything concussion-related, which caused him to miss time before. And Elon Refilpula, I actually dropped him just as he was starting that run. So there you go. <laughs> oh, that's too bad. That's like the opposite of what you're supposed to do. But how are you supposed to know? You, know, you kind of <laughs> called it that he was going to go on this run, so I'm not even sure why you did that. But it's tough, and obviously your team is doing well, so I shouldn't be uh, giving you too hard of a time. I mean, it's not doing as well as my team. Okay, anyway, let's move on. Next Hot streak. Let's go to Mike Hoffman in Ottawa. Oh, man, I hope you didn't drop him when he was slumping early on. I remember we had so many questions of Hoffman or this guy, Hoffman or this guy. I feel like Hoffman or Ehlers came up like a million times. Uh, I don't even remember what I said, but I really hope I didn't tell you to drop Mike Hoffman because he is on fire as well. He's like dry sidle level fire right now. Five goals and six assists in seven games played since returning from his injury. And along with him, Mark Stone has eight points in that span. Eric Carlson, only six points in the last seven games. So he's like been a snoozer, right? Less than a point per game for Eric Carlson. But no, so those three guys are obviously great on the Sens. I'm curious to know, Brian, aside from those three, and I guess the goalies, who would you want next on the Sens at this point? Like, would you want Turris or Brassard, who've both been kind of slow, but taking turns playing with guys like Stone and Hoffman? It's actually been Brassard with Hoffman and Stone at even strength and Turris with those guys on the top power play, or maybe Bobby Ryan, even though he's injured right now. I'm curious to get your sense of who else you want on the Sens, aside from for sure, Hoffman and Stone, who have been amazing. And Carlson, but I will take Kyle Turris next of that group. He's got very good even strength numbers, and he's got the power play time as well. So he would be the choice I make. And going back to Mike Hoffman, how exciting. He finally broke through. Everybody who's been waiting, you've been rewarded. I know I tried to buy low on him for a little while. That window has now closed with a hat trick and an apple and five shots versus Buffalo. And then he had a goal on seven shots the next night. If you can find someone who thinks they're selling high on Mike Hoffman, though, that might still be a deal you can get done. Next up, let's go to Columbus. I wanted to say Boone Jenner alert. He's probably been dropped in every league, so I should mention that he has goals in his last two games. Lots of shots lately. Ten hits three games ago versus Tampa Bay. So in your bangers and mash league, yes, I'm I'm starting to appropriate the term. I didn't like bangers league. At least bangers and mash league, we could kind of call it our own. I know that was Brian's corny comment a couple of weeks ago. Anyway, Boone Jenner is like good again, or at least decent. 
I think that if he was dropped in your league and you are in one of these leagues that count hits, I think it might be time to take a look at adding him again. He's in the top six pretty frequently now. That was one of the problems. He was like getting dropped down in the lineup, but he's playing with Dubinsky and Atkinson. Atkinson having an amazing year. Dubinsky also a guy who hits a lot. So that line must be painful playing against this second line on Columbus. But yeah, Boone Jenner, he's doing things. Boone Jenner is doing things. Well, how nice for anyone who's had the patience to hold him. I imagine hits legs. That's the only situation where people are really holding on to him. However, Elon goals in consecutive games does not make Boone Jenner hot. Just like nothing in two games does not make Phil Pula cold. Wow, I think I managed like a triple negative in there. So, But I think you know what I'm trying to say. The shots and hits in the meantime, though, they certainly help suggest that Boone Jenner is back to being sort of Boone Jenner, even if he hasn't scored a ton yet. Remember, though, Boone Jenner is still nothing very fancy. 50 points is probably the reasonable, optimistic expectation. There's not much different when you look at this year's numbers so far and last year's numbers in terms of the offense he's generating. He's still not consistently seeing good time on ice. Nowhere really near last year's almost 17 minutes of ice time per game. But he did have four straight games of being at 15 minutes or higher recently. So that was a good sign before, of course, going back down to like 13 or 14. So if his time on ice stays in the 12 to 14 minute range, I'll give him 45 points. If it goes up to the 15 to 17 minute range, maybe he can crack 50. It's pretty impressive that with second unit power play time on ice and a hefty time on ice cut at evens, he's still fourth on the team in shots on goal. So it is too bad for him that he doesn't sneak on to that top power play unit where he might be able to do a little bit more. There's somebody else who's not on the top unit right now, Brandon Sod who is Columbus's fourth-ranked scorer with seven goals and 13 assists for 20 points in 23 games. Now, fourth-ranked scorer on Columbus is not something to get very excited about, but guess how many of his 20 points, Elon, have come on the power play? Well, first of all, like when you say 20 points in 23 games, that's already enough for me to get excited about. I don't care how that ranks, but okay, so 20 points, how many of them are on the power play? Uh, I don't know. You're saying he's not even on the top unit. So what, like three, four? Zero. He has zero points. I didn't write it down because I wanted to surprise you, but now I forget myself if that's true. How yes. can you not remember if it's zero no, or not? I got, it is. It is. I just had a moment. Zero points. He has no points on the power play so far. And if you look at the guys who are ahead of him in scoring on Columbus, Felino, Wenberg, and Atkinson, they each have 21 points, so only one more point than Saad, but they have 10, 9, and 10 power play points respectively. So you look at Saad's numbers, he's tied for fifth in the entire NHL in total even strength points. He's third in even strength points per 60 minutes. And that's in a clump at the top with Connor McDavid, Steven Stamkos, and Sidney Crosby. So Brandon Saad is pretty good. Somebody, by the way, we talked about Jenner and Saad, both not on the top unit yet, because there is a player on the top unit who may be ripe for the picking or whose spot might be right for the picking. We're going to get to him in cold streaks. Elon, first, let's wrap up hot streaks. Oh, look at this. I don't have a guy ready. So this is also going to be a surprise for me. Why would you just... All right. By the way, Brian, I know you're saying that two goals in two games isn't like a hot streak for Jenner, but I'm trying to make a good show for the listeners here. And by the time he has another good week, 
he won't be available anymore. So, so I'm just letting you guys know that Jenner's doing something. I agree. I'm not saying that he's like on fire right now. He's not at Dreisaitl or Hoffman level for sure. Okay, I wanted to go to Anaheim quickly. Have we talked about Cam Fowler yet this season? I feel like we haven't. I know we have a patron who thinks he's like really bad, but right now the stats don't say that, or at least not the main counting stats. He has points in three straight games, up to 16 points in 25 games on the season, 53 shots. Eight power play points, 32 blocks. Cam Fowler has been a great guy to own in your fantasy league if you drafted him. I wonder, like, is it sell high time for him? He's on a 52-point pace. His best year ever was his rookie year in 2010-2011. Oh, I'm surprised Cam Fowler's been in the league this long. Anyways, yeah, he had 40 points that year. He's never cracked 40 since. And like I said, now he's on a 52-point pace. I know, Brian, you have Vatnin in one league. If you were offered Fowler for Vatnin, would you take it? I think I would hang on to Vatnin. And here's why. Uh, in 25 games in, it's hard to say that Fowler is going to stop rolling. I think he is. I think at the start of the season, when we didn't talk about him or we touched on him, we're so tired of all of the Anaheim blue line chatter between him, Vatnin, and Lindholm. And we saw the beginning of the season as maybe a showcase opportunity so that they could ship Fowler out and bring Lindholm in at a reasonable price that fits under the cap and into their lineup. But this showcase has not ended. His seven goals so far this year put him just three goals away from his career high of 10. And that's great. Great for Cam Fowler making the most of his opportunities. But I don't think the puck is going to keep going in for him this way. Over the last two seasons, the guy was on a 33-point pace. That's all. Good looks on the power play are sure going to help improve on that. But he also had those last year, 17 of his 28 points last season came with the man advantage. He already has eight even strength points this year. He had 11 in 69 games last year. There's not enough that has changed with Cam Fowler in his offensive numbers or in his deployment to make me think that this is something that's sure to last all year. I think if you want to be optimistic, he falls back to a 40-point pace guy. So I think you can sell high on him. Meanwhile, you have Semi Vatanen, who had a nice run to start the year, then just two assists in his next 12 games. Shot rates are still down, but the silver lining is that his 11 and 25 points is a more reasonable total for the rest of the season to go by than Fowler's 16 points in 25 games. Right. I know how sometimes you like it better when a player is doing worse, because that means that it's more likely that he can... (laughs) Do better in the let's not get into that again but yeah i think if you have cam fowler i agree maybe time to sell high i wonder if you could get that john klingberg who we talked about before for fowler i think that's a pretty good return maybe not if your league counts all these peripherals because klingberg's really giving you nothing and anyway, since we're on anaheim i already brought him up a bunch of times let me just say brian ricard raquel is the leading scorer on anaheim right now he has 10 goals even though he's only played 16 games out of the team's 25 games he has more goals than Corey perry even though he's given perry a nine game cushion that's all i'll say about ricard raquel I won't even ask you to respond. Let's move on now to Detroit. We've had a lot of people already asking in the chat room, are you guys going to talk about Anthony Mantha? Okay, sure, let's do it. He has six points in 10 games since he joined the team. He's a prospect that a lot of people have been talking about for a few years now. Like, I feel like I've heard his name a lot, at least over the past couple of years. He's been playing on a line with Zetterberg and Tatar and also getting power play time with those guys. So definitely in a situation to succeed and he's taking advantage of it. So I guess my question, Brian, is Anthony Mantha worth an ad right now while his deployment stays like this didn't get a point today in detroit's 4-3 ot win over the islanders but he did take four shots so still obviously being a meaningful player he had 17 minutes and a half of ice time so he's being used as an offensive producer and i'm curious to know what your thoughts are on anthony mantha 
He's a guy that Detroit fans have been screaming for for the past couple of years, and it probably shouldn't have taken an injury for him to get playing time with the big club. I suppose you could grab him. Interesting to note that Tatar, who is also playing with Zetterberg, has been doing nothing with that opportunity. So maybe Mantha's better than Tatar, or maybe the puck is just going more towards Mantha than it is Tatar for the time being. We are in a position, though, to recognize what Henrik Zetterberg is doing lately. No goals and four assists in his first nine games. Since then, in 16 games, he's got five goals, eight assists, and 13 points. He is off and running. There's no way he's still a free agent in your league. But if there is somehow a way, you can end that right now by adding him. So that's Zetterberg. And uh, what about Mantha? Like, do you add him? Yeah, if you want to cycle in a depth guy and take a flyer, sure. There's not a ton of offense in Detroit, but if there is offense, playing with Zetterberg is a good place to get it. Yeah, and I feel like if you have any of these other Detroit guys, I don't know, like, why not bring in Mantha? Like, if you have, for example, Vanek, he hasn't done much. Like, you know, all of them are sort of taking turns getting points every once in a while. Mantha seems to be in a good situation and getting some points now. Brian, that's it for the hot streaks for me. I just have a couple cold streak guys I want to mention, but I see you have some people on your list. So did you want to bring a couple hot streak guys up yourself? Just very quickly, another guy who did very little in his first nine games, Tori Krug. In fact, he did nothing in his first nine games. No goals, no assists. Now in his last 16, he's got a goal and 10 assists for 11 points. Congratulations to everybody who waited on him or snagged him out of free agency as I did inexplicably in one league. And then riding Verbata, the 35-year-old leads all Coyotes in scoring. He's on a five-game point streak right now. 17 points in 23 games on the season. He has eight goals already. Those put him more than halfway to last year's 63-game total of 13. And for Ken Fowler, I was like, oh, that's bad to be that close to your last year's total. But the difference with Verbata is it's looking somewhat sustainable. So Redding Verbata and Tori Krug are my last hot streaks of the week. Brian, you know that we also snagged Krug in our joint league. Why couldn't you have brought them both up and say you grabbed him in two of your leagues? Why? I didn't you know, want to brag of being overly savvy. I now have Krug in all three of my leagues. Actually, I drafted him in two of them and now got him off a of free agency in the one I'm in with you. So yeah, he's been great enjoying that. And Verbata, dude, we called it. Like we nailed this one. And also Hansel has been great lately. And like, Max Domi is doing well. Uh, One guy who was doing well, but now I guess won't for a little while is Anthony D'Angelo because he's been sent down to the minors, which was kind of surprising. I think we just said last week how maybe he'll be able to stick around. He was playing on the top power play. So that's kind of a bummer for people who got excited about him. Hopefully you didn't give too much up for him. But, you know, the nice news is that Michael Stone now becomes a lot more useful. He's been on the top power play in D'Angelo's absence in the past and like when he was healthy scratch that one game and now I assume he'll be back on the top power play he has three assists in his last two games he also had seven blocks versus LA a couple of games ago so definitely Michael Stone is a guy you know much better I'd say than Boschman if Stone is available he's a guy who can get you the blocks and also a decent number of points on that top power play with good players like you might think why do I care about top power play in Arizona but Verbata, Hansel, Domi and Oliver Ekman Larson are great people to be with on the power play forget about the rest of the team and how shallow they are like they're good with that number one line for sure they sure are I feel I thought you were actually going to call me out on bringing up Verbata again because I feel like we've done it every other week so far this year as for D'Angelo, it's interesting that he was sent down after being kept up for so long and then I didn't see any indication aside from sitting, of course, but no like comments in the press or anything that might have indicated why 
he's getting sent down. You mentioned Michael Stone being someone who might get opportunity. And of course, I'll mention Alex Goligoski could also see some more opportunity. He's actually averaging more power play time on ice per game so far than Michael Stone. But we'll see how that whole situation plays out. Okay, and then one more cold streak, though. Maybe it's not really the case anymore. I was going to bring up a couple of Montreal guys at the request of DJ Zhang, who pleaded with us for a shout-out. So DJ Zhang, he said, can you give a shout-out to me and my boys, the BH? So <laughs> here it is, to the BH, uh, Michael Perfecto. You, have, you gave me a bunch of names. Also, it's pretty funny. You sent an email asking for us to send you our music so you could play it during your annual Blades of Steel tournament. So I hope that went well. And and uh, yeah, I'm glad you're enjoying the show. Okay, Montreal Canadiens, you asked us to talk about some of them. I wanted to ask, what's up with Max Pacioretty? He has only 15 points in 24 games, which is a 51-point pace. But of course, that was before today's game. And Pacioretty had two goals and assists today. So I feel like uh, if you were about to say that I think a turnaround is coming, it probably already has begun. A guy who I'm more concerned about is Brandon Gallagher, who only has 13 points in 24 games. And he actually had a power play assist today, but he's been pretty disappointing. Also like low ice time and he's not on the top power play. I kind of thought he could be like a 55, 60 point guy, but right now he's been like closer to a 50 point guy. Is it by low time with Brendan Gallagher or did I have like unreasonable expectations for him? And by the way, I'll mention, speaking of Montreal, uh, looks like Alex Galchenyuk got injured today, which really sucks because he's been so great. We don't know yet how long it'll be. So maybe let's not speculate about that. But tell me about Gallagher. I'm assuming you're going to say that Pacioretty is awesome. So let's focus on Gallagher. Yeah, Pacioretty's awesome. Gallagher's still pretty good. He's still averaging almost four shots a game, which is incredible. And there's fantasy value right there that's worth waiting out a 50-point season if it happens. I still think he's going to do better than that, though. I can see him cracking 55 for sure. And depending on his line mates, I mean, it's just hard right now if you're not playing with Galchenyuk. Plekanec and Deharnay have not been very good for most of the season. Now that Galchenyuk's injured, maybe temporarily, I don't know. We won't get too into that. We'll, we'll address that next week if anything comes of this injury news that just came down the pipeline today. One thing Gallagher and Pacioretty both share in common, though, is that their numbers at even strength look very similar, but both have dramatic drop-offs in their own personal shot generation on the power play, and that is because Shea Weber is the one who shoots on the power play, as we've talked about in previous episodes. It's really eating into the rest of his team's opportunities to collect power play points. Brendan Gallagher just one going into tonight's game. I think Pacioretty had two going into tonight's game. Both are off the paces that they set last year. I think Pacioretty had like 17 last year and Gallagher had 10. Yeah, and obviously another big difference is that Radulov is on the team, which I guess has bumped Gallagher from the top power play a lot. He's having an amazing season. I'm seeing now he's day-to-day, according to ESPN. So I don't even know what's going on with Montreal. He he was day-to-day because he got like a stick in the face, and then he got stitched up. And then he went day-to-day before the game even ended on Yahoo, or as far as I thought I noticed. I think he played today, though. So... I don't know why he's still day-to-day, but he seems pretty healthy and able to play. Okay, so there's the Montreal Canadiens rundown. I hope you enjoyed it, DJ Zhang. Brian, I'm good. Are you good? Almost. Let's just go back to Florida for a brief moment. Vincent Trocek, five-game pointless drought. Raleigh Smith also snoozing right now. Four goals, four assists in 25 games. And he's actually seeing more ice than last year. I imagine he could get back up to a 50-point pace, but I don't think there's any need to hold him 
in the meantime, especially with so many other Panthers struggling and perhaps being on the waiver wire like Jokinen and Yager. So that line of Trocek, Jokinen, and Smith from last year, nobody's really clicking at the moment, although Trocek has had his moments earlier this year. But at the moment, five games was at a point. And then, Elon, I teased this before, the guy on the first unit in Columbus who maybe should get bumped down to the second for Brandon Sod or Boone Jenner, Sam Gagne. He has two goals, three assists for five points on the power play so far this year. And he had a 13-game run where he had seven goals and five assists for 12 points. So 12 points in 13 games, that's amazing. But now he has just one goal in his last six games and is still due regression. If you picked him up during that run, congratulations. I hope you got a lot out of him, but it might be time to make sure you're not snoozing on him for much longer. Yeah, I guess you couldn't have expected too much from Sam Gagne. It was nice while it lasted. Maybe it'll still be, you know, maybe he'll still be able to put up a few more points if he's on that top power play and getting a decent deployment. Brian, Johnny Goudreau, he's back. Like I said, he scored on Jonathan Bernier who is playing instead of Gibson. But I guess the fact that this game has started probably means that it's time for us to end the show. Thank you, everyone, for joining us here in the chat room. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We really appreciate it. If you like the show, like, let us know. Tweet us at Keeping Carlson. You can also ask us your fantasy hockey questions on Twitter. By the way, if you have a fantasy hockey question for us on Twitter, we need sometimes some context, right? Like, if it's a two-for-one trade, I kind of need to know what the full roster implications are. Like, if you're getting two and giving up one, that means you're going to drop someone. So it'd be useful to know who that would be. If you're talking about, like, a forward for a goalie trade it's useful to know who your other goalies are who are the goalies and free agency so i could get in a, a sense of what the value of goalies are in your league so you know there's a lot of context needed to give good advice i just wanted to throw that out there but feel free to tweet at us for all of your fantasy hockey advice questions brian and i are happy to try to help out if you really want to help support the show you can give us a five-star review on itunes if you really really want to support the show why not sign up to become a patron of keeping carlson only five dollars a month gets you access to our patron only facebook group our monthly patron casts Plus, you help support this show, which hopefully you think is worth it. You can give us a beer once a month for one of us, like I've said. So it's not very much. People in the Patreon group have been asking if maybe Brian and I have a drinking problem, because I guess it adds up to quite a few beers. But, you know, help us out. It would be nice. That's all I've got, Brian. So why don't we cue the outro music? And why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabra Hockey and supported by our patrons including Mark B. and Avi R. Thanks so much for supporting the show. It was researched with help from Jobber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Corsica.Hockey, Hockey Analysis, Hockey Reference, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Fantracks. Great job as always, Brian. Thanks again for everyone listening, and we'll catch you all with another live episode next week. Until then, keep on keeping Carl Sand.